Truth, Tony Schaefer, powered by Six Hour, Never Settle. Uh, I had a choice of what I carried in combat. I always carried the best. The best of Six Hour. I recommend you, too, carry the best. We are on the America Out Loud talk radio network, also available on the America Out Loud podcast network. Check us out, Project Sentinel. ProjectSentinel.net, ProjectSentinel.com, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, of course, a shout-out to Cherie Curry, who does our theme and bumper music. Cherie, we love you big. Uh, looking forward to having you back on the show real soon. So today, without further ado, we are joined by my dear friend and uh, candidate for the Republican nomination of Governor of Virginia, uh, former Assistant Deputy Secretary of Defense for Western Hemisphere, retired uh, Army Colonel, all-around good guy, Sergio De La Pena. Sergio, welcome to The Hard Truth. Thank you very much, Tony. It's a pleasure to be with you and your radio audience. Well, it's good to be, uh, always good to have conversations with you since, uh, I, you know, I always tell people how uh, you are the, uh, the Walter White of of, uh, of raw milk in Northern Virginia. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you're, you're the Heisenberg of, of raw milk. Uh, all, all the people come to, to get it from you on your front lawn. So, you know, to include me, that's how I first met you. Yeah, a little chunk of cow appreciates that. <laughs> So uh, we appreciate you coming on at this time because of several issues which are uh, bantering about. And um, one of the things I've always admired about you is that you have had a clear and concise understanding of what is important regarding policy and uh, the direction of of civil good order and discipline. Uh, you are much more reasoned and reasonable than I am. So I've I've always admired that about you, Sergio. So. Uh, one of the things that I want to cover today is, um, kind of the direction of where DOD is going. And you as a former assistant undersecretary, I think have a, a good sense of what was good and bad about the Trump administration. I mean, we, we can touch base a little bit on that, but more importantly, some of the issues relating to, uh, the mistakes that the Biden administration's made. And one of those being essentially a group of folks, uh, calling out the DOD, the DOD and those who have uh, essentially inflicted upon the DOD the requirement for uh, vaccines. And it's uh, it, this is called an open letter to the American people from signatories of the Declaration of Military Accountability. And, and they open with a quote, our constitution was made only for moral and re- religious people, not only, for, I mean, sorry, let me, let me read this properly. Our constitution was made for only, was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So the idea here is that, and I do believe that this was something the DOD did trample on based on everything I'm aware of. The idea was, is that um, when the COVID-19 virus hit, by most accounts, by all accounts I'm aware of, the DOD rank and file, who are generally fit, you know, I mean, we Army guys, Navy guys, uh, Marine Corps especially, Air Force, eh, you know, they like the donuts and coffee and cigarettes. But generally speaking, the DOD active duty members were in better health than the average member of the public. And they were, by all accounts, sustaining themselves very well regarding the lack of down being down from COVID, from infections. And yet they were one of the groups which were most sought after and directed by DOD leadership, despite any constitutional protections to get the, the, uh, to get the injections. Now it, it is an experimental drug. 
It is something that uh, the the FDA has never given approval of. Even to this date, there's been no uh, blanket approval or uh, one drug, one variant of the COVID vaccine in Europe was actually approved for uh, for use, and that wasn't the one they were given DOD. So, Sergio, I get. I just want to kind of turn this over to you to get your thoughts. What do you think should be done to the senior DOD leadership relating to the accusations that uh, there was a material uh, failure of leadership and a a UCMJ level um, violation of rights and and laws that the DOD uh, military leader should be held accountable to? Well, first of all, before we get started, I want to thank you for having uh, your participation in the campaign for governor. Uh, That was a a fun ride. So uh, reference the COVID issue, the thing that the first thing that needs to happen is you need to reinstate those that were let go. You need to make them whole, which means you start with an apology and then you put them back on track to be where they would have been had they not been removed and they get restored every right. Uh, their, Their records get expunged and cleared up because some of these gentlemen and women uh, were released with less than honorable discharges, which is I think right. a tra- it's a travesty. That's absolutely yep. not right. Uh, the entire time I was watching this debacle take place, I was doing a couple of things. One is we had access to every single person who was hospitalized or died with COVID, and the numbers were minuscule. Yep. And on top of that, I was tracking the Virginia dashboard for who was getting sick the entire time that we had the COVID pandemic. I looked at ages zero to 19. You know how many people died during that entire pandemic? Maybe one. Zero. Zero. Wow. None. And then if you look at those that were the next age up, the same thing. And I was asking myself, why on earth are they doing that? And uh, the whole issue of did it come from a lab or that didn't come from a lab? It was obvious that it came from the lab. And if you'll recall, we even sent the, uh, the comfort and the mercy to New York and Los Angeles. And we had those hospital ships there. We had the Javits Center available. We were giving free medical assistance to anybody who wanted to use it. Guess what? Very, very, very few people use it. By the way, those ships have these tremendously large crews of medical personnel that could have been put back into DA hospitals or or DOD hospitals. So they should have been, Uh, but it wasn't uh, for a lack of at least showing interest in making sure that we took care of those two states, uh, both of which were Democratic states, both of which didn't want to use the facilities that were being provided free of charge. So obviously that that whole issue with the uh, vaccine was a debacle. Um, yeah. As to where we go from here on finding, you know, if somebody did something illegal, I, I'm all for go find what it was that they did that was illegal and then you deal with it uh, on a legal basis. Yeah. Uh, but again, when you start doing that sort of thing, uh, as you and I know, uh, when we were in the military, you were authorized to dispense uh, Article 15 under UCMJ, which is non-judicial punishment. Right. What I found with when I had that authority, I always, always, always listened to the other side. Because anytime you thought you had something nailed down, you knew this guy had done something wrong. And guess what? Every now and then you would find out that there were extenuating circumstances that you didn't catch. So the idea of let's just 
start this this whole uh, persecution of people. I don't think that's a good idea. If you know for if you have suspicions that somebody did something wrong, that did something illegal, find that individual, isolate that individual, and then take the appropriate course of action uh, so that justice is served. But uh, that's the way I would approach that. So let's break that down a little bit, because in this letter, the Declaration of Military Accountability, they do mention people by name. And of course, they start off with our friend Mark Milley, uh, Admiral Grady, uh, G- uh, General McConville, who I know. I, Joe, I knew him when he was one. and He's uh, close to Joe, my friend Joe Dunford. Uh, Admiral Gilday, I guess. Gilday. CNO, yeah. He was a Lester, J3. He was a J3. Yeah, when Admiral I was Lester, here. right. General Brown, General Berger, General Smith, Vice Admiral Kilby, Vice Admiral Noel, Fuller, Martin, uh, Davis. All these are folks are senior officers. Now, the premise here, I think, to your point, is that they didn't. And by the way, I think this is a mistake because I think as much as anything, they should have gone after civilian leadership. If you're saying these guys acted in such a way that somehow violated the UCMJ. And I understand what they're trying to say, but to your point, they, they don't get very specific. They basically say all these people basically violated their oath of office and, and essentially gave illegal orders. Now I don't disagree with that because I think the moment you direct a troop to do something that has issues and come on, you and I've been as lieutenants through the whole ethics thing, Sergio, remember the, and, and, and when you're going through the initial officer mm-hmm. training, your OBC officer basic course, yeah. they're trying to give you these scenarios where, you know, legal versus illegal orders. And I think in, in, in many instances, if you trace back and the, 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 the origins of the orders that these officers were given, the guidance they were given was from the secretary of defense, which right. is a, a, a civilian authority. And within the context of that, as you and I both know, you're always told you're not supposed to accept legal orders, but then sometimes you do. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you and I had to do OERs for someone we didn't even know? It's like, uh, I didn't, <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I, did. I wasn't, I didn't, but I, I see your I point. Did. Yeah. So that's the point. It's like, where, where does the be the beginning of civilian responsibility, such as the civilian leadership of Lloyd Austin begin and the issues relating to the the, the military execution of those orders uh, state. What is what, should there be a, a relook at this regarding civilian leadership and what they directed the military to do? Well, obviously, I mean, it's, it's the president that's the commander in chief. He's the guy that issues out the orders, and then right. because the military is led by civilians, the first uh, the book stops with the civilian leadership. He starts with the president. Then you know, if you take it one step from that, it would be the secretary of defense. And then you'd have the service secretary. So everybody's involved. My only point is that yeah. if you're going to take somebody to court over something like this, it's going to really bog down any functioning of government because you have so many people. It's just my, my only point is if you have clear and well-defined breaches of legality, then go after those, yeah. identify them. And then they have to, you know, go to a court trial and so forth. But again, you know, this is something that I think uh, can be handled in a different way. We can start by let's fix what was broken first. And the first thing that needs to be done is reinstate those that were let go 
due to COVID. I think it's, it was a ridiculous proposition. And then also, I think it's also important to do investigations on uh, the adverse impact that COVID had on the healthy, because we're seeing a lot of myocarditis. And one of the things that's really good about the military is we keep really, really good track of people's medical uh, portfolios. So oh, yeah. if you open those up to scrutiny, uh, I think that's something that needs to also be pursued, but that needs to be investigated. And then you need to determine, was there any malfeasance involved in that as well and hold those accountable? So I, that fundamentally, going back to the, let's talk about that for a second, because you just mentioned, Sergio, in your description of tracking the COVID infections, right. that there was no significant impact on military readiness or health. It just wasn't. I mean, no, it wasn't. It, I mean, re, re, if you do you remember that that the the captain of uh, I think it was the Gerald Ford. I don't remember. I might have gotten my yeah, my, my guy in the Pacific. Yeah. yeah, the guy in the Pacific. The the I aircraft carrier. Bit, yeah. That, that decided. Oh my goodness, uh, I can't do anything because I have COVID on the ship. Okay. Yeah. So you you have the healthiest people possible. The the possibility of somebody dying from COVID in that cohort of age was next to zero. And he's running around like chicken little with his head cut off. And then he's got the troops uh, singing little songs when they relieved him and all kinds of little silly things like that. You really draw attention to yourself uh, because you're making ill-advised decisions. Now, that is something that the Navy should look at. How do you go about selecting these guys for command? Well, the Secretary of the Navy rightfully relieved that guy, and then he got relieved himself, which I thought was a mistake. And I, I knew him personally, and I thought that was like, he did the right thing. It's like, right. that captain should not be uh, telegraphing that one-fifth, or uh, I don't know what it was, but what one-eighth of our strategic military force, the carrier battle groups, was down because of this knuckleheadery. I mean, Jesus, you know, it was just stupid. So. No, I, so, so again, you get to these cases, and you can see how, they can really snowball. So yeah. when people start doing the chicken little dance over something that is not as lethal as they claim it to be, uh, you have to ask your you have to ask the, the question is why was this done? Now you can also extrapolate that into maybe it was part of a bigger whole. If you wanted a catalyst to gain greater control over institutions and over populations, uh, COVID was the perfect catalyst. Yeah. The entire time it was happening, I realized that this, to me, seemed like it was a catalyst for a lot of other things that occurred. For example, the elections. Because yeah. of COVID, we changed a lot of electoral laws in many cases, as you and I have talked about. It was done by uh, extra constitutional means, like, for example, and let's just take Pennsylvania, for example. Yeah, let's. It, it, it was done <laughs> not by the state legislature, it was done by their court system and their executive. Mm -hmm. That's unconstitutional. But right. because the thing wasn't challenged sufficiently early, uh, by the time you get to the elections, it's already too late. And then remember that they were accepting ballots beyond the postmark date. And there was all sorts of shenanigans that were played there. Now, what better reason to create this new voting environment than by using the pretext of COVID. So it's, I would argue that it's connected to a lot of other things. And it also yeah. 
brought forth a lot of other significant changes in schools. Uh, you were able to lock uh, entire communities down and the impact of that hasn't been properly evaluated. And these are investigations that are gonna occur in the future because people still wanna know what happened. Right, and full disclosure to the audience, I did testify in front of the Pennsylvania legislation uh, five different times, four before the pandemic and one after, where I addressed some of this and Sergio is aware because he actually toured my operational location in Arlington uh, when I was doing uh, a series of investigations of voter fraud. And uh, I think most of the audience remembers a guy named Bill Barr called and said, hey, uh, you need to stop. And I refused to stop. And next thing you know, I'm fired. You know how it is. Bill Barr, you know, only the attorney general. What did he know? No. So you want to say something about uh, the, the, our friend, no, uh, I, the attorney general? No, my, no well, I, I don't really, I know, I don't know the attorney general. I, I know that some of the things that, that he did um, were, was not what I would have done. It's not what I would have recommended that he do. Uh, you know, like, I'll just give you one example. We had a case uh, where the Mexican secretary of defense was, was put under arrest. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they arrested him. And then they said, oops, I think we made a mistake. We need to release him. So they released him. But it wasn't good enough. He had to go to Mexico and basically said, uh, I'm sorry I arrested him. My bad. So if you're going to arrest somebody, arrest him. Make sure that your case is strong enough where it can sustain any kind of scrutiny. The thing is that perhaps their case wasn't as strong. Who knows? The bottom line is that if you're going to arrest somebody, then arrest them. If you're not going to arrest them, then don't arrest them. But don't go through these night these nut rolls uh, that that weaken the ability of the United States to deter uh, criminal activity, especially when it deals with drugs. And we know the whole debacle that we have now with drugs is killing over 100,000 Americans per year. Yeah. Well, we just lost four here last week from fentanyl coming through. So I'm glad you segued to this because that's where I wanted to go anyway. So. One of the things I note constantly about you personally, and I think, you know, you play a bigger role than this, and I think you want to take credit for, is the remain in place strategy that was employed by the Trump administration. And I know the State Department had to be involved too, but you and I met in your office in the Pentagon. I don't, I, I don't think you have any problem with me disclosing that at this point, that we would have conversations in the Pentagon. Sure. At least I hope you don't mind. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's a little bit late now, but... Yeah. But we talked about this and we talked about strategy and it was very clear that Sergio, that you amongst others within the administration established a series of policies, which were effective and you didn't stop the flow, but you reduced it to a, a, a quote unquote manageable level. Uh, I think there was other things that had to be done, but you guys were, were way ahead of it. And again, one of those things was the remain in place uh, policy, which was hugely effective. Uh, I, I thought, and I thought you guys were effective in engaging Mexico on that. So, well, I, to know. be fair, to be fair, the individual responsible for doing that was Donald J. Trump. He said, "We're not doing well, that." I know, but you were basically. For the man. Well, I mean, we, but he didn't. He didn't need a lot of prodding. That was his idea. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I give credit where credit is. The president said, "We're not doing that," and yeah. what he said was, "If you, if you do not go along with the stay in Mexico policy, I'm going to impose tariffs." on your goods coming into the United States and you slow uh, the, the, the ebb and flow of trade between our number two trading partner 
and a lot of money's at stake. And all of a sudden you get people's attention really quick. And yeah. remember, by immigration law, anybody seeking asylum in the United States has to first apply for asylum at the first country they come to. Exactly. So think, of, so think about that when you're thinking about somebody who's coming from Bangladesh or Eritrea yeah. or pick the country. They're supposed to ask for asylum for the first country that they bump into. And mm -hmm. that's not the United States. And that's right. all we were saying is that go and apply somewhere else, wait in Mexico. And there was some type of an agreement made with the Mexican government. And the Mexican government says, well, we can't sustain the number of people coming through. Like, for example, if we were to implement that today, you would probably have, and I, you know, I don't have exact numbers, but I would venture to guess somewhere in the vicinity of a million people that are currently in Mexico on their way to the United States. If you shut the border down, that means that those people stay in Mexico. Mexico is not equipped to be able to handle that many people. Right. In the United States, we provide them with housing. We provide them with health care. Uh, we provide them with, with stipends to get food. And so we're, we're creating a whole new level of welfare recipients, if you will, in the United States. Mexico cannot afford that. And oh, by the way, that's a pipeline. That pipeline goes all the way back to the, to the Darien and beyond. Let's yeah. just go to Venezuela. That pipeline begins in Venezuela. It goes to Colombia. It goes through Panama. It goes through Nicaragua. It goes through Costa Rica. It goes through El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, and the United States. So if you stop it, the water that's in that pipeline is staying. All of a sudden, all of those countries now have all of these immigrants that are stuck. It yeah. doesn't take long before they figure out they're not letting us in and they go back. So if you want to stop immigration flow, I know that today there's a CODEL down at the border. That's just for theatrics. Until President Biden says, we're not doing that anymore. I'm not going to let him come in. Mexico, you need to stop it or else. And the way you do is you tell them, look, let's, let's come to an agreement that you just do it voluntarily. And if they don't do it voluntarily, then you apply the Trump method, which worked masterfully the last time. Since Mr. Biden has been in office, we have now had somewhere in the vicinity of 8 million encounters. That's as of the end of the fiscal year. So that doesn't include the last three or so months. Yeah. What that means is that it's probably about eight and a half million. And those of those encounters, easily over 90% of those people came into the United States, of which 1.5 million or so are gotaways whom we have no earthly idea who they are. Right. And if you extrapolate that, which what just happened today, and I think you're going to cover this later, was the explosions at Soleimani's anniversary funeral in Iran. So you just killed 100 Iranians outright, and you had a, close to over 180, I believe, was the number. I, it, it keeps going up every time I look yeah. at it. But let's say no, for be, argument. Yeah. Like, no, I was talking about earlier today on Newsmax. So... Well, so one of the other figures I want to cover while we're talking about the Southwest border, the cartels make about $32 million a week, $32 million a week. So it tells me, Sergio, that uh, the border is actually well controlled, just but not by us. Well, let's, let's, okay, control or not control, let's, let's, let's put it as a money-making proposition where the cartels who are violent people 
are now earning more money in Mexico, for example, if you take the to two top cartels, the money they earn is the equivalent each of the state of Nuevo Leon. Nuevo Leon is the state that where Monterrey resides. Monterrey yeah. is the new Detroit. When our industrial base left Detroit, it went to Monterrey. Yeah. And so that is a very rich state. It's the third richest state in Mexico, and it's not that populous. So as far as per capita income, I would argue that's probably one of the richest states. Yeah. Each cartel, the Jalisco New Generation and the Sinaloa cartels, both make as much money as that state. And what's happening is that back in the day when a coyote, you know, a human smuggler had to get an alien from point A to point B, let's say the B is a border, A to B. Okay, they had to cover all the expenses to get, get you to the border. And then there was the B to C, which is from the border to it's to their destination in the United States. The B to C part is something that the cartels charge the individual. Today, you don't you no longer have to pay, the cartels no longer have to pay B to C. That is paid for by our taxpayer dollars and the US government. So yep. we pick up the tab for their food, their lodging, and, and their transportation. So in essence, we become the coyotes of choice. The U.S. Yep. human smuggling chain is now uh, something that the United States runs. The B2C piece means that the cartels no longer have to pay that. Do you think they're going to give those illegal aliens a, a big discount and not charge them for B2C like they no, used to before? I would argue probably not. What that means is that they're earning a lot more money because they no longer have to pay that last leg of the trip. Of course. And probably the most expensive. So what that means is that those cartels are becoming uber rich and they now can impose their will on very weak governments, especially at the local and state level, and they can buy off politicians at the national level. Yep. And if you look at Mr. Mr. Lopez Obrador, and his hugs, not bullets policy. Look at how many people are dying compared to the previous administrations. And that's, you know, his big thing is I'm all about good intentions. But if you look at the results of his policy, more Mexicans are dying. More control is being gained by those politicians that agree with the cartels and the cartels are running amok and they're challenging the state security authorities. I don't know if you saw an incident that occurred about a month ago where 200 miles from Mexico City or so, maybe a little bit less, it was 300 kilometers, whatever that comes mm -hmm. out to, 180 yep. some odd miles. Uh, there was a cartel that went into a small town and they said, uh, we're here to collect the taxes you owe us for, for basically a protection racket. You yep. need to pay us. And the farmers there said, nah, we're not going to pay you. So immediately, one of the cartel members shoots one of the local community leaders, which precipitates a riot with the people that were there because there were about 20 bad guys and about 200 good guys. And the good guys uh, took sickles and machetes and cut the bad guys up. And they whacked a whole bunch of people I think they ended up killing like five of the locals and then they killed all 20 of the bad guys. But what that did is it created 
even more violence because the cartels say, well, we're not just going to let that ride. We're going to come back. We're going to take care of those people that killed our guys. So this is the kind of violence that's getting out of control. And that example is what happens when the state no longer is a, a viable provider of security. So now people take things into their own hands and that doesn't have a good result either. Well, we'll talk more about that on part two of the show, because that's something we have to continue to explore, I think, is the potential for Mexico becoming a failed state, which uh, I think what you're describing is uh, a state that's well on that road. By the way, you were born in uh, Chihuahua, weren't you? I was born in Chihuahua. Right now, that's so, one of the hot, hot spots. That's, yeah. <laughs> did, so did, did when you were born, did they give you like a little Chihuahua to raise as a kid? No, that, I never saw part? Chihuahua Chihuahua. That's something that I don't know where that came from. I mean, I, I did I never... <laughs> I never saw one of those dogs down there. Well, I, we'll, I we'll, we'll look at Bruin after the after the break. So anyway, we'll be right back with, with uh, part two of the Hard Truth right after the break. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within supporting your immune and respiratory systems, and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced. These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code out loud. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe. Air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. 
Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Hey, part two of the hard truth, Tony Schaefer, powered by Six Hour, never settle. I had a choice of what I carried in combat. I always carried the best. The very best is Six Hour. You should carry the very best as well. We're on the America Out Loud talk radio network, also available on the podcast network. Check us out at projectsentinel.com and .net, and on Facebook, Twitter, Rumble, YouTube, and every other known social site on the planet Earth, and probably some outside the solar system as well, but we won't talk about that today. So we're back with the... Uh, with the Assistant Undersecretary of Defense for Western Hemisphere, Sergio de la Pena, retired Army Colonel, uh, a, a close friend, a former candidate. And by the way, thank you, Sergio, for that shout out. I enjoyed being one of your surrogates when you were running for office. I, I thought it was a great time going out and meeting it was. folks. And, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm running for office down here now in Edenton. I'm running for county commissioner. So I'll be uh, I'll be out doing uh, similar things in the very near future. So. Virginia is the longest place that I've ever lived in in my life. So, for you know, my kids were born in five different locations in four different yeah. countries. So this is oh, wow. home, and we love Virginia. Yeah, Virginia is awesome. Yep, I love it. I love Virginia because we used to be neighbors, but Virginia didn't love me. So I, so I, I was going to, so. I was going to take a trip out there, but I went to see a Rod Stewart concert and saw him behind the or backstage. Asked him about Virginia. You know what he told me? He said, Why? "Leave Virginia alone." Oh, God. Rod Stewart said that. I'll leave Virginia alone. There oh. we go. Rod Stewart Hey-o. also said uh, all the all the guys. Some guys have all the luck too. So, but that's a different story. <laughs> that's right. So, speaking of luck, so we're just talking with Sergio about the Southwest border. So, Sergio, one of the things that I worked on uh, back in the old days, and we talked about this privately in the old days, was uh, I worked at a place called Jadif East. Yes. Joint Interagency Task Force East. Uh, now it's Jadif South down in Key West. Correct. Uh, some of our mutual friends, Bob Harding and others, were working that issue back in the 90s. Uh, we recognized in the 90s that Mexico was moving towards instability. I, I had proposed when I was the chief of Army's clandestine human program and then at, at Defense Intelligence working uh, the black ops stuff I did, uh, that we actually take the time to at least map, at least do what we call professionally the intelligence preparation of the battle space. Because we saw this trend. This was trending back when we were doing the linear approach. Remember the linear linear approach? We went after the Medellin and Cali cartel. So mm-hmm. we recognize, okay, we got that solved, but it doesn't solve Mexico. And so um, there's a great reluctance to actually address at any policy permanent way what we're talking about. Because, yes, you mentioned President Trump had a, had a good idea at work. Nobody else seems to be worried about the potential of what you've just outlined in part one of the show, that 
we, you know, Mexico could be well a, a failed state within the next uh, two years. What, what, what do you say to people who are not convinced? Well, I, you have to define failed state. The, the cartels control certain turf. They, yeah. They're far beyond controlling the state. It's not good for business for them to do that. So they're going to, you know, it's a balance that they're striking. It's not unlike that in Colombia. I mean, Colombia was uh, at one time the purview of the Escobar brothers that were running the drugs, and then they were renting the the the, uh, the cultivation sites from the from the guerrilla groups like the FARC. And then the FARC decided, hey, we can do that. And then mm -hmm. we took out Escobar, and then the FARC started controlling the drug trafficking. And then uh, we we had Plan Colombia. We went after the FARC and started hammering those guys. So Mexico right. said, hey, uh, we can take care of that. So they moved corporate headquarters from the functions, not the people. They moved right. the functions from Colombia to Mexico. And then Mexico has been getting progressively stronger because it's become the platform that allows the drugs to come into the United States only because they're in the, they're in the supply chain. That's where the stuff is going to go through. Right. And then, you know, if you look at Breaking Bad, remember, we used to make meth in the United States. And then they found out it's a lot cheaper if you do it in Mexico. Just get the chemists yep. over there, and then you you can produce the same thing. And the Chinese have figured out that you know what? Um, we had this opium war at one time. Let's do a reverse opium war in the United States, and let's send them the precursors. Send you know, and, and then give them instructions on how to put the fentanyl together, and then we can shove that into the United States. And if you look at the you know the cost of production is going significantly down. If you look at what it costs to produce a kilo of heroin, I have my statistics here. Um, here we go. So, you know, to produce a kilo of heroin is, or a, produce a kilo of fentanyl is about $200 compared to cocaine, which is about $2,200 to produce. And heroin is about $6,000 per kilo to produce. Now, once you start putting it in the market, obviously the prices go way up. Yeah. And then you can also lace the, the heroin and the cocaine with fentanyl, which makes it much more addictive. So, you know, the nature of the drug business is constantly changing. And so what that does is that the business model is now focused on Mexico because that's where the warehouses are. That's where the wholesalers are. You know, I used to try to understand how the, this whole business worked and I couldn't figure out, okay, why is it that we know who the bad guys are and where the cartels are in Mexico. But yet here in the United States, we have this very, very efficient distribution system throughout. And what it is, is the big pipelines are in Mexico. The, if you look at it from the perspective of along the alveoli, all the little tiny blood vessels that are spread all over the place, those are the gangs that distribute the wholesale product to the retail market throughout the United States and they're affiliated with different distributors, if you want to yeah. put it that way. And so they have those that go with the Cartel de Sinaloa. You've got those that go with Jalisco New Generation. You've got the Gulf. You've got all these other people. And they, in turn, send their product into the United States through gangs. Yeah. And then the same thing happens in each of the countries that drugs are used. So in essence, you've got this marvelous money-producing model that the cartels take full advantage of. And what that does is the money makes you more powerful. Yep. The money allows you to buy things, which means people, politicians, and a lot of armaments. So that keeps increasing and increasing. Now, at some point, does it get out of hand? Yes. So at some point, the government has to decide, has it gotten to the point where I need to act? And even uh, in places like 
let, let's just give you an example of El Salvador. Uh, you have Mr. Bukele, who has now decided, I'm just going to throw everybody in jail that's not on my side. And he's going to, you know, he's also, I'm sure, uh, having conversations with those people that have the product. So uh, it creates this um, very unhealthy and corrupt system, and it does weaken the government. To what extent was it weakened? Who knows? But it, it definitely is not a healthy situation that Mexico is in uh, because the cartels do have a lot of political influence. Yeah. So I think it's something I'd like to have another discussion on to go th- into more detail, because I think this is going to develop over the spring into the summer, Sergio, and obviously be right. part of the, the upcoming campaign, which obviously we should talk about more. So we'll have you back on that. But uh, for sure. the next topic, for our my colleagues who have joined us now for the show, we have Elizabeth, the uh, the uh, ever uh, beautiful and rich in personality, Elizabeth Breckenkamp. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the the ever uh, Dr. Smith uh, smelling like Chris Cordani. So. <laughs> I'm the nickel plated nincompoop, I suppose. That's right. right? So, no, I'm sure Dr. Smith smelled good. Just saying. The rose, the rose among the thorns. Yeah, that's right. That's I'm right. not sure if they had deodorant on. The, that's right. They must have run out of. They must have run out of deodorant on the Jupiter too. I they, they have to ask have. Billy Mummy about that yeah, at some that point. That would be oh, good, Billy. Oh. So, um, so the next thing I want to go into for the rest of the team now is. Um, over over the holidays, uh, you know, every administration does this. Whenever there's bad news, they want to dump stuff on a Friday, or in this case, really bad news for the administration. They want to dump it over the Christmas to New Year holiday. So one of the things that the Biden administration took a dump, well, Biden does a lot more than <laughs> take dumps, and I think is why he wears depends, just saying. Uh, the uh, A report. A, uh, the Institute for Defense Analysis, IDA, which I've had good. I, Sergio, I don't know if you've had good experience with them. I did. I had oh, I did. I, I've I've had them conduct studies for me. Yeah, yeah, they're very fair. They did a. They were tasked after in the wake. Let me let me read this dramatically. In the wake of 6 January 2021, the Capitol riots, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin tasked the Institute for Defense Analysis to review all aspects of the potential of the Department of Defense being infiltrated by extremists. Hmm. As this happened, uh, the, the study was conducted by Ida from the, from June of 2021 to June of 2022. Any, anybody want to guess what the results of the survey was? It was those mean right wingers, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and the answer, who, no, this is this is the headline. Yeah. Report finds Biden administration's concerns of extremism in the military are unfounded. See, there we go. Oh, but he'll deny it. So 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 this was released. Uh you can go uh this is now public. You can go to the IDA website. IDA has it, DOD has it. And it's what's interesting. Let me let me set the stage for our discussion. What was interesting is that Ida actually said in not so many words, and I'll read the words exactly so nobody can accuse me of trying to prime the pump in the wrong way. This was the conclusion of their report. DOD has used a variety of terms, phrases, and concepts to describe prohibited extremist behaviors and activities. As a result, service members are at all levels told Ida, the Ida team, that they are unaware of or confused about the existing definitions or standards. Like, what is extremism? So uh, the, the absence of clear and consistent messaging uh, has created a risk for misinterpretation that could lead, lead to significant divisions in the force along political and ideological lines. In, in other words, 
the very fact that Biden administration's passing this is creating the very instability and radicalization that, that they're looking for. It's a self-licking ice cream cone, for God's sake. This is their words. This is this is Ida's conclusion. So the very oh. act of doing this has created conditions to make it more extreme. Isn't that something? So Sergio, um, I think you and I both knew this was insane, but this the, the report actually says this is insane. <laughs> well, the whole it's premise like of the- 22, yeah. Exactly. The whole premise of the of the report was ridiculous to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no grounds to even come up with something this idiotic. Uh, anybody who's ever spent any time in the military knows that that's not true. And let me go back to like in 1978, I came into the army. The platoon I was in had we were all they, my all of my peers were the children of, of non-commissioned officers. I was the only one whose father never went to school a day in his life didn't speak English. My mother went to the sixth grade, never learned how to speak English. And mm-hmm. so this is this is who my platoon was. Everybody else were the children of non-commissioned officers. All of us were officers. So it could it tells you the upward mobility that the army had for those of my peers. And right. back then we all got along great. We had we had a we had a black officer we had uh, a guy up from Michigan. He, he was he was thrown out for a year for being a cheater at West Point, but he came back in. He they, they found out that maybe he wasn't as big a cheat as the other ones. Uh, there was and there, there was a, there was another guy that was uh, he was he was Pacific Islander. I think he was I think he was Guamanian. Uh, and then my 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 compadre and and best friend Scott Marquardt, who was uh, half German. And his grandfather was a regimental sergeant major in the British Army. So this is this, oh. these are the kind of people. And in my battery commander was uh, Polish of Polish extraction, whose uh, relatives were involved in the Ketan Forest massacre by the wow. Russians. So so these are yeah. the people that I that I grew up with, and all of us were best friends. We still are. Yep. And so this is what the army does to say that we had anybody that was a goofball that was an extremist, a KKK closeted dude, we would have known who it was and we would not have liked that person anyway. Exactly. So this, and and the, again, this is 1978. Fast forward to now. So mm. this whole thing, the whole premise of this report was absolute lunacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know the only reason why they created it was to distract from um, just Biden, just in general, every single policy that he has enacted is hasn't made the country worse, like the southern border and Bidenomics. Yeah, and so they're making up a problem that isn't even there just so they can get all the mainstream media to get all those same talking points so they can talk about it and distract you from Biden tripping again over a sandbag or falling off a bike that isn't even moving or whatever the heck he's doing. You know, they're, it's just a distraction because well, it's, it's like closer the- to the 2024 election, you know? It sounds like the Ida report was disappointing for Biden in two ways. We couldn't define extremists the way he wanted to. And as you said, Tony, it was a self-licking ice cream cone, mm-hmm. which means he can't actually have that one. Yeah. Well, I, I, no. would, I, 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 <laughs> I, would add, I would add this. It was a way to reinforce the narrative that there was an ins- insurrection in, on January 6th. And go. if you look yeah, at exactly. and the, the first question you have to ask about that insurrection is name one person that has been charged with insurrection. There is zero. So, no. but they needed to reinforce that because that's the narrative. Because if you listen, mm-hmm. even now, 
I just read an article from the AP where it talked about the January 6th insurrection. How can you have an insurrection without insurrectionists? Well, two, two points on that. First off, President Trump was the, the legitimate power of the United States at that point in time. He did not have an insurrection against his own government. Just saying. It's not possible. You can't insurrect against yourself. It, it was a, you can it was do a, other things, but I don't want to get there. I don't want to go down the Joe Biden showering with certain people path. Just saying, I don't want to go down anyway. So, yeah, the media anyway, inserted that word in there to make it I convenient and got people. Yeah, you know that, but you also no, know something else, Tony. Well, well, hold on. Let me finish my second point on this regarding the the issue regarding what Sergio just said. The the actual numbers of people that less than ten percent of the people who participated in the so called insurrection, the 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 riots were were military oh. or veterans. Less within that ten percent, less than five were active duty mem- mem- members of the military. I would bet it was less than that. No, there was less than five. There was only three. Oh. Matter of fact, I know there was one Marine Corps <laughs> active guy, one Army active guy, and I think one Air Force active guy. That's it. And, and by the way, there was no evidence that they were quote unquote extremists, even though they participated in the event. Just saying. So mm-hmm. that's insane. Good point. So anyway, so of course I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to throw the stats oh, out. No, no, that, that's important. And we also also what's important is Tony's takes. We have to hear Uh-oh. these because we want to know what's <laughs> going on around here and we want to know what you think about them. Tony's takes is powered by Sig Sauer. Never settle. And I never, never settle. settle when it comes to cool stuff for Tony's takes. Never right. settle. All right, here you go. Let's get your take All on right. this one. Claudine Gay, aka has <laughs> Steve Urkel's stunt double, yes, resigned Steve. her post as Harvard president. Well, for plagiarism. This after, of course, she uh, uh, she and the university were exposed for the anti-Semitism uh, or backing that kind of thing up and not allowing other points of view that we all know are conservative. But again, we'll get into that another time. She resigns, but she still gets to keep her big salary and a post as professor. So yeah. I'm saying once again, uh, <laughs> optics rules the day and the left can take yeah. care of its own at the same time. What's your take, Tony? So I believe it's first off sad that Hamas lost two leaders on the same day that the Israelis killed one and one had resigned. So that that is just oh, man, terrible, terrible. I feel terrible about Hamas losing <laughs> their, their, a second leader on the same day. With that said, she's well funded. So if she wants, I you know, she could actually invest in Jeffrey Epstein's island and turn it into a Urkel colony. If you want to know what I mean, I think I think oh. Urkel's running around on an island would be quite the terrorist draw. I mean, uh, tourist draw. Boy, that's a slip, wasn't it? <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> you, you know, while, while you're at it, uh, you, you may want to add that that uh, Claudine Gay uh, was taking advantage of other African-Americans who had done the research yes, and had properly true. cited their sources. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, she can get, I know she can get I away with I, it. I know she is, yes. Right. She can get away with it. She wears the uniform and uh, and she can she can claim DEI all the way. And that's, right. that's According why. to uh, Ibram X. Kendi? Kendi? Is that his name? It's yeah. all Kendi a man. racist mob who came after her. They're all racist. It, it's simply right. because you want to hold somebody accountable. It's apparently racist. So, yep, apparently. Know. There we go. It's the pot and kettle thing for that guy. Here's yeah. another one, Tony. All right. All right. On the main secretary of state, uh, what's that? Shenna. Shenna is her name. Shenna Bellows. Bellows. Who who decided Trump needs to be removed from the state's presidential ballot now. Mm -hmm. She's not a lawyer and still has to go to superior court. Her hands are deep, however, in the Biden administration fandom and association with the old Jay Beer. Plus, 
her Valley Girl up speak is really, really annoying. What's your take on her, Tony, and, and what's going on there? So, you know, I, I think it's interesting that she's still suffering from having been the the lowest and worst salesman of Girl Scout cookies during her childhood. And it's sad to see it carry over into adulthood. You know, <laughs> Good those, those resentments like carry up. And just so you know, I, I've got my my copy of the Constitution right here. Just oh, like yeah. I have two of those. So for the audience, I'm holding up a copy. So I, I I like going to the index, which has words. Some of us like words, you know? I mean, I we make a living off words. So I go to the section, that I, and I always do this. I always, maybe, maybe I'm missing something, so I always check the index. I look back to see where in the Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence it talks about democracy. And lo and behold, it's not there. There's defense. <laughs> Uh, there's District of Columbia. That's a problem. Just saying, uh, double jeopardy and due process of law. But there's no democracy. So uh, the fact that she constantly rails on about protecting democracy, I don't know what country she's talking about, but it certainly ain't the United States. Just saying. Now, if you I ever feel unqualified for a job at any time, note that she is a Secretary of State of an entire well state. Well, the other that's interesting right. thing about that's that whole yeah. mess is that. She is not elected. She was right. appointed. So right. one individual saying, we're not going to do oh, this. That's There's a no good point. There's no accountability. And yeah. so what this is all about is you've got to create the narrative that we have President Trump, who's going to be a dictator. And, and that's really going to be the narrative. It's going to be dictator, dictator, dictator. But if you look at what's happening now, and COVID was part of the catalyst to do this, is Look at the way that big tech has sided with the president. Look at the way that media has sided with the president as a mouthpiece for their points of view. And what you're seeing is the creation of a fascist state. If you really want to look at who the fascist is, look at the way that you collude with big industry and powered interests and the government. And what you have in the current administration is that. So whatever they're calling you is what they're doing. And they never bothered to look at the real model of what they're following, which is Stalin. Everybody yeah. wants to throw the, the Hitler trash at you. But if you look at who was a bigger murderer in the 20th century, it were the, were the communists. Stalin was a piker compared to Mao. He only killed 20 million of his own people. Mao killed 60 to 70 million. And, and Hitler was responsible for probably around 10 or so. Right. Uh, so this is this is the narrative that they want to that, that they want to pursue. And this is the narrative that they're going to try to take because they have nothing else to run on. It's going to be about abortion and it's going to be about the dictator. Right. So we need to have the counter to that. Right. And it's no accident that uh, right. that Joe Biden was named after Joe Stalin. That is parents. From St. Petersburg. Robinette. <laughs> well, Stalin's name wasn't really Joseph. It was something else. But I, I, I know, I know. I'm <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but, but on right. that note, we're going to wrap it up here quickly. But uh, real quick on that note, Sergio, like here in North Carolina, the, the Democrat Party of North Carolina has prohibited any other candidate being on the Democrat ballot. There's two other candidates running against Biden. One of them is Marianne Williamson, who I know personally I've met her. They're prohibited because, you know, Stalin is, will decide for you who you're going to have on the ballot. <laughs> And I'm mm -hmm. not joking. Well, look uh, at the super look at the super delegates. Look at the way that yeah. they set up their own candidates. 
if you're if you're not the person that's the anointed one, they'll just the super delegates take you out. They are the most undemocrat democratic party of any party. <laughs> it's amazing. So, uh, oh, the irony, yeah. <laughs> oh, the irony. So, um, anyway, we're, we're gonna wrap it up. So, Sergio, thank you for being here today. Uh, we appreciate your your uh, perspective and experience, and uh, I'm proud to call you friend. I appreciate uh, everything you're doing. And I hope to have you back uh, probably towards what the summer, Chris, would it be summer or fall? We want to ju- jump back into the, the political stuff of what, where everything's going. Why not? We'll need you just in time for the summer. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and we'll be able to sort through and actually kind of pick up from there. Cause I think we'll have a better understanding of, of what's going to happen and when it's going to happen regarding the Trump. And the Trump administration. So anyway, um, that's it for this week for the team, uh, for Chris Cordani, Elizabeth Brickenkamp and my friend, uh, uh, assistant Secretary of uh, 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 Assistant Undersecretary of Defense for Homeland for uh, Western Hemisphere, Sergio Del Pena. We appreciate you all being here, and we'll see you again uh, in the future, real soon.